Welcome to a special edition of the Beltway Briefing. My name is Blake Rutherford. I am particularly excited about uh, our discussion today because we're going to be talking about something that we haven't yet talked about this election cycle, which is state attorneys general. As most of you know, uh, our firm, Cozen O'Connor, has a an extensive and highly reputable state AG's practice. Uh, we have expertise in this area. We bring people uh, from all over the country who uh, focus exclusively on the work with state AGs. So we want to talk today about the political landscape um, that will affect state attorneys general. I am joined uh, for our discussion as always by Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. And today, uh, for the first time, Jerry Kilgore and Christina Howard, both of our state AGs practice. Jerry, Christina Howard, great to be with you. It's great Blake. to be with you. Great to be here. All right, so we are seven days from election day and which seems like again forever but nevertheless um here we are and we have talked howard for months about the implication of myriad issues something new every time we're together on the senate the house governorships um where are we today let's just frame the the broad dynamic politically where are we one week out yeah i mean i think everybody's kind of holding their breath i think wondering what's going to happen between now now and election day um frankly the events over the weekend in pittsburgh have i think shocked everybody and and quieted things on some level i think trump would be going ballistic right now politically if it weren't for the fact that he's got to look for a couple of days anyway like he's um being presidential as far as the the, the tone and being a healer and trying to be a healer in chief as opposed to campaigner in chief but at some point over the next couple of days after he visits Pittsburgh, assuming he follows through and actually does that, um, uh, he's gonna change the tone and something's gonna happen and we'll see what that is. You know, I still think the D's um, look better in the, in the house um, and not where they were a couple of months ago, but um, and and I think the R's safely are going to keep the Senate at this point, but but we'll see. Yeah, um, Jerry. I mean, let's just let's just sort of frame this nationally. I mean, what what's your what's your broad perspective? Because I think you, you would agree that no matter you know what what's going on locally at the state level politics are national in the context of this election but what's your perspective no I, I agree with Howard the president has nationalized this election even down to the local offices when the president weighs in on a governor's race or even an AG's race that candidate has won a Republican primary over the last uh, few months and he's done that uh, Florida is one big example when, right. when most of us believed that Adam Putnam was going to be the nominee for governor for the Republican Party in, in Florida. And all of a sudden, the president weighs in for, for DeSantis, and DeSantis wins going away. So the president has had a huge effect on, on state and local politics just as much as he ha has had on the national politics. He has nationalized every single election in this country. And that's what we're going to see on Election Day whether 
I think you're going to see different results in different parts of the country. Yeah, you know, it's it's something that, that we have talked a lot about, this, this notion of the House going one way, the Senate going another way, Democrats potentially picking up governorships. So, Jerry, you and I were talking about offline before we began, not a, not a whole lot more for the Republicans to naturally gain in governorships. But, but I do want to talk a little bit about that because we have some state AGs who are, who right. are running for higher office and some hyper-competitive races. But let's set the landscape from a state AG perspective. Right now we've got 27, and, and, and it's more reflective, I think, of the country being nearly a 50-50 split. You've got 27 Republican AGs, 23 Democratic AGs, and an independent. Um, and I'm counting the District of Columbia in, 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 that, in that contest. But you also have, you have a lot of AGs up this cycle, Jerry. So what's, the, what's kind of the broad perspective on, on the, the AG landscape? You know, there's there's 31 state AG races this year, and and when you when you break that down, you know some safe seats, uh, you know some some Republican seats, some California, New York, some solid Democrat seats. You you're left with about nine toss-up seats, and of those nine toss-up seats, it's anybody's game today. It, it depends on who gets to the polls, and a lot of it depends on what's going on in the U.S. Senate races and what's going on in the in the governor's race. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we could end up with split government. You know, we could have a governor of one party, particularly in case in races that are so tight at the governor's level, where uh, the Republicans spend a lot more money on, on a state AG's race because uh, the Republican AG Association has been in these races spending a lot more money than, say, the Democrats. In, in some ways, it's not how we're dissimilar from we've got a, you know, we're looking at about 10 hyper-competitive Senate races, 11-ish, you know, hyper-competitive governor's races, to Jerry's point, nine state AG races. I mean, there's there's a relationship here between, and, and the states, there's a ton of a ton of overlap. I mean, you yeah. think about a state like Nevada, where you've got a competitive AG's race, a competitive, really competitive governor's race with the current AG running for governor, absolutely, um, and a really competitive Senate race. I mean, there's just a there's a lot happening out there. Yeah, and the thing that all, that surprises me is um, the the difference between different states. I mean, that there are places where the Republicans up where. I think the Republicans should be down and, and vice versa. It doesn't necessarily, and that gets back to what we always say that the candidates actually matter. Yes, Trump is nationalizing this election. There's, there's no question. I mean, certainly the Republican primaries he did. I think the legacy of this election is going to be, you gotta look really hard at who's actually running in these competitive, in the purple jurisdictions, because I think that is gonna matter a lot of the day. I do think candidates matter. And, and for instance, on the attorney general side, you've got to look at Minnesota, a deep blue state. I think we all agree it's a deep blue state. But then they nominate Keith Ellison to be their attorney general candidate. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's he's marred with it's this, a race. Right. He's marred with yeah. the sexual assault allegations that, uh, you know, he's denying, others are, are promoting. And no one can really name the Republican AG candidate, Doug Wardlow. Yeah. Nobody, he has horrible ID, even in Minnesota today, but yet he's leading in the polls. The last time 
the last pole in that race was a seven-point victory, even though the top of the ticket is going to go solid blue. They're going right. to have two Democrat U.S. senators and, and a, a Democrat governor. But it's all every candidate, top to bottom, in Minnesota, even the congressional races, are showing photos of their opponent with Keith Ellison. Yeah, I was. That, it was a race that I, I, I'm glad that you brought up because that's sort of where I wanted to begin in terms of of this notion of sort of nationalizing the election. I mean, you have someone like, I mean, a national figure in Keith Ellison running for chair of the DNC, right. uh, not winning that race, but then becoming the vice chair of of the DNC and 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 having a, a broader national profile, and, and of course, bringing with that you know some some healthy criticism. It's funny because. You know, you we Minnesota, Michigan, Ohio, um, Florida. I mean, again, these are states that we Minnesota not as much, but right. but Michigan, Ohio, Florida, um, especially in the context, Jerry, of the of the 2016 election. I mean, these are battleground states, and and I thought we might talk a little bit about about Michigan in part because you do have the current AG running for governor, right, and a, a competitive. AG's race. What's what's going down in Michigan? Well, in, in Michigan, it, it, again, it's the situation where the president weighed in for the attorney general, Bill Schuette, to be the nominee for governor. Uh, it hasn't worked out to date for uh, the attorney general. I mean, he's been trailing in the polls from the beginning. It, you know, it doesn't look like today that he's making it a a tight race. Uh, I mean, Bill's a great guy. He's a he's a great candidate, but he has been marred, if you will, with the uh, with the Trump endorsement in Michigan. When maybe uh, things aren't going so well for the Republicans in Michigan, and then you've got the race for Attorney General, which seems a little tighter. With uh, the the uh, the Republicans have held that office even when the Democrats held the governor's yeah, a, yeah. mansion there in Michigan. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, you've got the Speaker of the House, Tom Leonard, running against. Uh, and again, the leftist candidate won. Uh, Nessel won. She won the nomination for attorney general over a, a U.S. attorney, which probably would have been a very strong candidate for the Democrats. I'm yeah. just, I'm I'm just curious, since... Jerry, since you've been a candidate and, and held office in a purple state, like how would you deal with, how would you be approaching the age of Trump if you were running now? How would well, you strike that balance? You have to strike a balance in that uh, when I was uh, attorney general and then running for governor, we had, the President Bush was, was in office and all of a sudden, the Iraq War, the the right in the middle, you know, I'm I'm up in the polls, and then all of a sudden, everything happens in New Orleans with the with the response to the Katrina. hurricane Katrina, and, and yeah. all that came with that. Whether he was to blame or not, he I submit he wasn't to blame, but he he took the blame, and, and the polls started changing. Northern Virginia voters felt like he should be voted out, so they started voting against everybody that that was standing with him, and he was. Campaigning, I had been his chair for both campaigns in Virginia, and you know I love President Bush, still love President Bush, but you know appearing with him in that final week may not have been the best decision that our campaign made. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you? So for these, for people that are running now, how do you? Like, what do you do? What choices do you make? Well, I mean, 
with President Bush, you had a president that may not have uh, been upset if you weren't going to appear with him. I know the next year down in Florida, uh, Attorney General Christ, who was a Republican then, chose not to appear with uh, President George Bush right. because because of the implication, and he went on to to win that race. Uh, I'm not sure a Republican running for governor today could make that same decision because I'm not sure what the White House would think about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's the that's sort of the point. I mean, you have very different cults of personality, right? You know, between President President George W. Bush and and President Trump, it's a far trickier dynamic. Not in the the, the politics being what they are, I think are trickier, right? Um, because you have such such a rea- people have just have such a reaction to Trump. I mean, in the sense of like his supporters are core and serious, and there doesn't there's not a lot of nuance, and they're they're active, they're engaged, etc. And Trump is not afraid to just out you on Twitter if you if you say like that's the fear. I don't think I, look I just just hang tight here for right. seven more days I'm gonna win this thing Trump doesn't necessarily understand uh, hang tight for seven seconds I think All there right has to be constant communication <laughs> yeah. with the White House these days and yeah. you have to you have to but I, th- I think as a at the RNC they have to be willing to recognize that there are some states where the president's always going to be, no matter who the president is, the president will, would be a liability coming into that state. Yeah, well, let's, and let's talk a little bit about Florida. Yeah, because, uh, good. Because that is, I mean, you get a lot of action in Florida this cycle. Um, in all sorts of different directions. In, uh, that's, right, that's exactly <laughs> what I was about to say, all sorts of different directions. You've got, you've got a Senate race that is is neck and neck, although it does appear that Bill Nelson's up a couple of points um, in the latest polls. You've got a governor's race. The president has weighed in on the governor's race, and um, but it appears that Andrew Gillum, the, the Democrat, is up a couple of points. The Attorney General Pam Bondi not running for for not on the not on the ballot um, this cycle. So you've got an open AG's race, um, and and the president committing at least before the the horrific incident in Pittsburgh of going to Florida at least a couple of more times before the election. What do you, Howard, I'll start with you, what do you make about the Florida dynamic generally? Well, I think it's also interesting that Trump was obviously highly supportive of DeSantis in the primary, but then backed away from him um, after he backed away from Trump once he got the, once he got the nomination. Now Trump's made the decision to go to go back all in. He's going twice. He's going most places once. And some issues with Rick Scott too over whether Scott would appear at official events or political events, and sort of ping ponging back and forth there right. as well. So I, you know, I mean, Florida is still the epicenter of uh, of purple states. And I, I do think with with all the retirees in Florida, I think yeah. the president and his political team are are figuring out that they can impact early voting and and what you've seen in Florida is surprising in the early voting arena in that the Republicans are now tracking ahead in early voting which wasn't the case in 16 or 14 so it, it's yet to be seen if the Democrats can get the ground game together on election day now which they haven't in the past uh, to outvote the Republicans or I mean if it stands early voting and then Republicans again voting 
heavy numbers on election day, then you know you could see Scott DeSantis and then the Attorney General candidate Ashley Meyer win. Yeah, you know, I mean that was the thing. I mean, we talked about in in twenty sixteen that we we certainly me especially thought that that the the differentiator would be the Clinton campaign's ground game that Trump wasn't organized that right. and, and it turned out Trump didn't need to be organized. The, his supporters organized themselves and showed up on election day. Clinton's ground game turned out to be hardly the the sophisticated operation that that you know we all who were close to it thought that it was going to be. Lots and lots of mistakes made there. So um, you know it's an, it's an excellent point, Jerry. I was I was wondering too. You know, in terms of we've talked a lot about the relationship between these races. And, you know, whether, it, you know, we've looked at it from the context of Gillum perhaps being sort of a boon for, for Bill Nelson. What, help, help us sort of dissect the relationship of these races to the AG's race. Yeah, I think in, in Florida, for instance, I, I, I think it does bode well for one party to take, say, the three seats, Senate, governor and attorney general because it, it just seems like people are voting more straight ticket in, in Florida and you've seen that over the years I mean re, re, total control by the Republicans of, of the state house and, and then if the Democrats there's not been a lot of ticket splitting in the past in Florida so I could see a scenario where you know for instance Scott wins then he carries in everybody else even though it's by small margins, small margins right up and down the line and the same with with nelson and and and, and gillum on the other side but then you look at other states that have a history of splitting their vote mm-hmm. whether you go to michigan uh ohio I was gonna say, let's go to ohio i ohio. mean because i mean that's a perfect example of that and, and a really interesting i mean really interesting dynamic in in ohio because you have you have a senate race that appears locked for the Democrats. It's over. It's over. <laughs> right. But you've got a governor's race with a former AG, Rich right. Cordray, and former head of the CFPB, running against the current AG, Mike DeWine, and then you have an AG's race. Right. And, and it's Ohio. Right. <laughs> so it's, you know, what what's going on? I mean, Howard, what's happening in Ohio? Because, because Sheriff Brown's been safe this whole race. He's been safe the entire race, and, and that's why I just don't think that's going to pull in because he's not going to have to have a big turnout mm-hmm. model to get folks out to the poll. If he were in a race, then he could maybe drag through some of the candidates like like they did uh, during the Bush administration and when they swept the state and, and won all the, the Democrats that has swept the state and won all those yeah. offices. And I just think Ohio now is in that split ticket mode of they're willing to split the ticket but but I think when you get down to the governor's race that the governor's race will impact what goes on below the governor's race well it's interesting because it, I mean Howard it's, it's sort of a it's sort of counterintuitive but it of course makes sense Sherrod Brown being safe could actually be a bad thing for the Democrats I, I, and I think that is I mean but if he were in a race they would be ginning up all kinds of get out the vote efforts but he's not he's He's not in a race, so uh, it comes down to Cordray having to put together his own get out the vote. Yeah, what do you think well, about Ohio? I, I mean, I, I, candidates matter. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know I keep repeating it, but I think you know, Sherrod Brown is a good candidate. The R is 
you know, not the strongest candidate. So why is he ahead? Because he's a better candidate. Um, I mean, that's really, I think, what it comes down to with, with these divergent results. The other thing is we talk so much about Trump, 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 Trump. Right. And he's obviously, like, we're obviously living in the age of Trump and on, on the Republican side, but on the Democratic side, we're living in the age of progressivism. They've nationalized the election in the other direction. The Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren wing. Well, the Keith Ellis, I mean, Keith yeah, Ellison being the, right. and Jerry said earlier, you know, the right. progressives winning these Democratic primaries. Well, it's not like either side can look to the other side now, unlike you could maybe in the 80s and the 90s and say, yeah, I want to be just like them. They right. don't. We're so polarized now. You don't want to be just like them. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, mean, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I mean, remember where we were two years ago. We were declaring the death of the Republican Party yeah. going into the election. Um, and, and then what happened? Um, we were talking about the death of the Democratic Party. So I, I think both parties are in similar places. I think there are national dynamics weighing on both sides of the aisle. Like, go back to Florida again. You know, Gillum is a very left, um, progressive, democratic candidate. That is going to have an impact on this race. So I think you've got similar pressures in both parties on both sides of the aisle, and I think that's going to have a huge mm -hmm. impact on election day. You know, it's funny, Jerry. We always we always joked in in the AG world that you know AG always really stood for aspiring governor, and, um, <laughs> and so very and true. I mean, I, you know, I. I, uh, I I was I was a bit I was a bit surprised. You tell me if you were. I mean, we we saw in a couple of races, South Dakota, Colorado, the AGs not even make it out of a, make it out of the Republican primary. Marty Jackley losing the primary in South Dakota, and very um, surprised right, on, on I, Marty losing I, I, the race. I, I, yeah, I mean, I I was just I I was very very surprised about that. I wonder just sort of I mean, it, and again, it could be it could be hyper local in in the context of what the dynamics were, but generally not something that you would expect for an AG to struggle to get out of a party primary, Democrat or Republican. Well, I think it's, it's what's going on on both sides. In Minnesota, you saw the same thing. She yep. couldn't get out of a right. Democrat primary, for even though she had served uh, maybe 12 years. I mean, she'd been AG for a, a long time there in, in Minnesota. Right. And you're seeing that you saw the same side thing on the Republican side when the parties want outsiders. Both parties want outsiders, and they see, they saw the state attorney general as the insider, the the yeah. person there suing folks and mm -hmm. and making settlements and and doing all the things they don't the voters didn't like. Yeah. yeah, on the left or the right. Yeah, left or the right. Yeah, I mean that's and and again to 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 amplify the point of of the country being so polarized and and this notion of you know outsiderdom we saw it certainly with trump and now we're seeing it with with um with progressives and i think to a to a degree although he was the ultimate the consummate insider birdie somehow still managed to sort of fashion himself as an outsider and when you're contrasted to hillary clinton that's relatively easy to do i think <laughs> that um, was an easy task yeah, it was an easy task easy task for him um i i do want to touch in on because we we also have ags running in for two Senate races that we've been talking about a lot. Uh, one in Missouri where right. A.G. Hawley is running against the incumbent Claire McCaskill and in West Virginia where A.G. Morrissey is running against the incumbent Joe Manchin. 
it appears that West Virginia is going to stick with the the incumbent. I say appears because we still have seven days. Anything can anything can anything happen, can happen in West and Virginia. I'm going to get Christine in on this because she's really she's really our expert here in terms of what is really going on dynamically in the states. And Christina, before I invite you into the conversation, I do want to let people know there is a fascinating and fabulous tool available to you um, at stateagelections.com that Christina Howard of our State AG group, and it's run by the Cozen O'Connor State AG group, manages every day. It's, if you're, if you're a fan of, of 270 to win, 538, all the great election trackers out there nationally, this is the place to go to understand what's going on in State AG races. Phenomenal tool, Christina, you've oh. done an outstanding job. But let's dig in a little bit um to to missouri and and the dynamic there because that race is that senate race is so close um and how do you see sort of the ag's position in that race and what are you thinking about there sure i think um you know as we currently see in the polls i think uh general holly looks pretty good i think he's polling ahead um so uh i think we can expect him um to perhaps win uh, uh, a week from today, and if he does win, uh, another the governor will appoint a new AG. And since it's a Republican governor, we can assume that seat will stay uh, Republican. Yeah, and and West Virginia different dynamic. And I mean, I don't know. We we've, we've talked about it, Howard, in the context of the Kavanaugh vote. Mansion voted to confirm Kavanaugh. His poll numbers were were sort of fluid they appeared to stabilize after that maybe that was the effect maybe not um but general morrissey was a popular ag i think is a fair way to contrast that but hasn't really been able to get to that next level in the senate race christina is that a fair characterization do you think right i think the polls are tightening in this last week um but we will see i think uh like you said i think the kavanaugh uh vote was uh i think it kind of solidified uh, you know, probably mansion. Yeah, what do you guys think? I, I think that the, the Gorsuch yeah. vote was even more important than the Kavanaugh vote. Okay, yeah, all right. Break I mean, that down for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I he supported Gorsuch, you know, unabashedly, you know, and the the Kavanaugh vote, yeah, I mean, he cast it at the 11th hour and 59th minute and, uh, you know, fine. Um, but I think, you know, he was out front on Gorsuch and... I think that was a bold early move. Not he wasn't the only Democratic senator, um, Joe Donnelly in, in Indiana, and um, and others. But um, I think I, you know, I, I, Morrissey's a good candidate. He's not from West Virginia. He's from New Jersey, which doesn't doesn't help him. I don't think. Uh, but he's a good candidate. He's a good AG. He's a good guy. He's a smart guy. Um, he's a good campaigner. He's probably got a bright political future, but it doesn't look like he's going to carry the day here, Jerry. You know, as far as state AG, our state AG group go, we win if he loses. We we win if he wins. I mean, we're we're excited for for the attorney general. But West Virginia is just so unpredictable. It's mm -hmm. been unpredictable in the last uh, you know five to six statewide races. Just because there's been that change going on in West Virginia, changing from old line conservative Democrats. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, you could 
a Republican other than Arch Moore could not win anything yeah, in West Virginia state of for, Robert Burns, for decades, I mean, for decades. Yeah. It was Robert Burns. Because you had those old-line conservative Democrats who are now the next generation are realizing we're not the national Democrats like we can't support the national Democrats. So it just depends on whether those people will just go back to the fold for Manchin one more time mm-hmm. and, and just vote for yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 fascinating. I've got a friend of mine, she's first-time candidate running for Congress in West Virginia in a district that surprisingly is, I think, only about maybe less than two hours from D.C. And, and, and again, her uh, the incumbent is not from West Virginia, sort of parachuted in, won the district, and maybe I think lives in Maryland or something. But anyway, I don't, I don't know if she'll, if she'll win. She's a great first-time candidate, so she's got a bright future. But, but again, I've learned a lot about a lot about West Virginia, the opioid epidemic being huge in, in that state. We're seeing AGs, obviously, uh, you know, on the front lines of, of that fight and many other fights, right. which is sort of what I want to pivot to. And I, w- I will say on West Virginia, the president must feel at, at least somewhat optimistic there because he's going to Huntington on, on the 2nd. Yeah, the one in a state that, that he won by a huge right. margin. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, certainly something 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 happened something's happening right. here what it well, is ain't exactly clear yeah. <laughs> trump's been known to change his mind at the last minute so let's see whether he ends up actually going um right yeah i, I do want to turn that plane around yeah right. i noticed it was an airport rally ah yeah there you go yeah well that's and that, that's what he did in was that it was, was did he do that in wisconsin is that sort well, of your one of the Rust Belt states. Right, one of the Rust Belt states. Anyway, we're getting to that point, I will admit. I, I can't knock airport rallies because Ronald Reagan came to Little Rock when I was a kid, and my dad took me out to the airport to, to see him, and I didn't really understand this concept of what an airport rally was wow. or what the value of having the backdrop being Air Force One was yeah. until it's, I showed up, and then I, then I got it. Yeah. It's a pretty cool scene. It's a pretty cool I, scene. President yeah. Bush did one for me yeah. in Richmond. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, it's pretty neat, pretty neat. I do want to pivot, though, to let's talk about election night and what y'all are going to be doing, Jerry and Christina, in terms of tracking these races, updates. I mean, we've got... We've got the site, which I encourage everybody to go to, and there, you're, it's it's in depth. You can learn all about the races. You all are getting in the predictions game, and so it's not just a summary of who's who. You're you're providing that sort of expert expert analysis, which I love. Um, so talk to me a little bit about what what people can expect on election night. How do they get plugged into what you're doing, so on and so forth. Sure. Well, leading up, we update the website uh, every day uh, with the latest news, you know, articles, uh, polling information on all the races. So you can get everything at www.stateagelections.com. And then uh, we will be tracking the races in real time on election night. There is a sign up on the website where you can get real time um, emails and text messages on the winners of the races. Um, We also update our our Cozen AG team um, makes kind of predictions and forecasts, and you can get those uh, the latest uh, original insight as well. Um, but we will be closely tracking the races all night, and we expect there to be some close calls. So, um, could be a late night. 
as, it will be a very said. late night, probably into the next day. Yeah, yeah for all of us, right? I mean, I mean, it's we're gonna. We're well, gonna you be, may we're not gonna know that. Wow. You may not know the house for a week. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, right. it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's probably really gonna be one gonna thing, be something. Yeah, one thing that's you know that we've talked about a lot on our on our weekly calls is what are what are the what are the issues that are going to dominate on election day? Like healthcare, we've said is you know clearly a, a kind of right. dominant issue yeah. running through. The election no matter where you are is that true on the ag level also are the things that dominate people's minds gonna it's just a national election i mean used to be in state ag elections crime and and security would dominate that race as opposed to a governor's race which yeah. could focus on health care or, or a senate race health care but now it's it's all about uh, kavanaugh the caravan and and health care yeah yeah, I mean, it's there's a there seems to just really be and and I was just perusing state papers this morning, looking at headlines, just trying to get a sense of of you know what was what people were covering locally, and there is no local coverage. It's it just it's it's exactly it's exactly that, um, and television certainly has obviously been dominated by the tragedy and. In Pittsburgh, the last couple of days, which is just uh, horrific in, in every respect. Um, but um, I do want to. I do want to. As we close, Jerry, let let's talk about what it all means. Um, you know, when when the dust settles after you know after the election, um, what's the dynamic out there for AGs? And and I think you know for folks who are listening in, you know, you know who aren't as attuned to the AG world, um, you know, help folks kind of assess what it means both for the AGs in terms of their focus and then for you in terms of your your work. Well, you know, if, if there are more Democrats elected on election day in the Attorney General, you can expect a lot more lawsuits against President Trump, against his administrative orders, his executive orders. You can expect a lot more investigations, if you will, along the lines of the CFPB because the Demo the current uh, Democrat attorneys general just do not believe that the Trump CFPB is, is taking the enforcement actions that they see that they ought to. So some of them, like Pennsylvania and Maryland, have formed their own state CFPBs, and you can see that in, in some of your large states if those do turn blue and, and go to the Democrats. You can expect more enforcement activity out of a Democrat Attorney General's office versus, say, a Republican Attorney General's office. They, the Republicans Attorney Generals tend to tend to stick to law and order issues, data security, data privacy issues, uh, Medicaid fraud, uh, dealing with a, a lot of the criminal aspects mm -hmm. of the office versus the civil aspects and the consumer protection aspects. So in terms of, in terms of, you know, kind of your work day to day, I mean, in, uh, you talk about Democrats, more investigations in the Trump, um, do you, do you sense that that the Democrats, perhaps we can talk about in the contrast of the CFPB stuff. Do you do you do you sense that the Democrats get you know more active as it pertains to the private sector as well? Uh, that's that's been the history, you know, led by some of the larger states. 
they want to be more active in in monitoring what goes on with businesses and regulating mm-hmm. businesses and you you see a lot of that coming out of their state legislatures that puts a little pressure on on that uh, Democrat attorney general to take such actions you know it's it's interesting Howard because we you know we talk about you know consumer protection obviously being a huge a huge arena for state AGs um, but you're also active in the environmental space and you know the Trump EPA has gotten a lot a lot of attention former <laughs> former Oklahoma AG being right. um, being the administrator for for a time but but outside of politics just they're they're sort of backing away from lots of regulatory oversight do you sense that in the context of the role of the states do you do you think that the states get more active in in the environmental space both against private the private sector but also against the government i'm just glad the democrats have finally recognized federalism and that the state <laughs> this, there are powers in the state state houses and and that's what we're seeing now all across the nation you know during obama administration it was the republican ags right. that were suing the obama administration now it's the democrat ags suing the trump administration so i think it's a healthy discussion of federalism going on um, in the attorney general ranks and i think that's a good thing and Jerry, what do you make of, because I've always been, I've always just been, you know, sort of fascinated by the dynamic. And I think for, again, for folks who may be listening in, who aren't as attuned to the AG world, the dynamics between Republican and Democrat AGs in the context of elections, in the context of, you know, multi-state investigations, how, how do you, how do you sense that dynamic evolving in the aftermath of this election? You know, it's, it's, it is they have not been as bipartisan over the last five to six years as they once were when i was ag you know the election ended and you were you worked in a bipartisan manner on on multi-state investigations on on sign-on letters and for the most part we all agreed over the last five or six years though it hasn't been that way it's been a little more political and i think that goes back to nationalizing all these offices yeah it seems Blake like um, issues like environmental issues um, also I think privacy is an issue that we're seeing in our public strategies practice cut across all levels of government um, certainly that's a, a an enormous issue well, for that, you and that becomes practice. a bipartisan issue too yeah. with the AGs for different reasons but Democrats and Republicans want to protect the process right. I think that's one to me that is the dominant um, issue healthcare and, and privacy which go together on, on some level but I think privacy is going to be the dominant issue at all levels of government um, not it's not the dominant political issue but it's the dominant substantive issue for the next five years six mm-hmm. years ten years um, it's just running it's a strain we see it here with the tech companies all the data breaches um, I see that as being an issue that's going to dominate governing over the next decade. Well, it, it certainly is, as as we often talk about, it'll be fascinating to watch. Uh, we've got seven days till till election day, and 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 then you know we, we'll certainly see what happens. I do want to encourage everybody to visit stateagelections.com, sign up for updates, especially on election night. Get that information in real time, um, and I want to thank. 
Howard, always uh, great Thanks, to be Bobby. with you. Thanks, Jerry, Thanks, Christina, Christina, so much fun. Um, Thank great you. To, great to talk to you about about what's going on. I will I will certainly be looking forward to your ongoing analysis over the next couple of days and then uh, results on election night. So thanks for joining us Thank and thanks you. for listening. Thanks, everybody.